Hey guys, welcome to episode 172 of A True Crime Couple. I'm Kay. And I'm John. We hope you're in the mood for some true crime today because, as always, we're here to deliver. And at the end of the episode, we're going to give a shout out to our new subscribers on Patreon. And if you're interested in two full-length episodes a month, bonus episodes a month, and ad-free episodes, please join us at patreon.com slash Couple. But we want to thank you also for listening and leaving us reviews. So at the end of the show, John is going to read some of those reviews for you. You know what? I'm excited. It's you're, been a little while. We got to do it. I know. And you're going to do really good. All right. Let's do it. <laughs> you're going to do well. I'm sorry. Yeah. See, I have to correct myself. I'm going to do well. You're going to do well. And just one more thing before we get started. We're really looking to revamp the merch that we have. It's a, it's a little sad and dated. So what we want is to try and find a really good graphic designer who can make, you know, like what we envision for our merch to to come to life. So if you're a graphic designer or you know a graphic designer, please contact us at truecrimecouple at gmail.com so we can work on creating something together that'll be really cool. Okay, got it all out. Now it's on to the case. John, are you ready to hear something crazy? Of course. In New Washoe City, Nevada, two armed gunmen stormed into the trailer of the Dodd family in late December of 2012. In their wake, they would leave the head of the household dead and a family reeling from the seemingly senseless act of violence. But as the investigation fell into the lap of investigators, the family would only be further torn apart by devastating secrets and betrayals. Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer, has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in his apartment. We are all evil in some form or another, are we not? Lock your doors, lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. Just after midnight on December 29, 2012, a frantic call came into 911 from a residence in New Washoe City, which is located just north of Reno, Nevada. On the other end of the line, from the dispatcher, from Washoe County, was a woman named Shauna Dodd. She said that she had driven down the road to her aunt's house. She left because someone had broken into her home while she and her husband had been sleeping. She said that a man put a gun to her head. I was so scared, she yelled. The operator, trying to better understand the situation and knowing that she had reached safety to another house, asked if everyone in her family had gotten out. She told the woman that she had gotten out of the house, but her husband never... An emotion overtook her before she could finish the sentence. She sobbed on the line. Where is your husband? asked the operator. And Shauna's only reply was, oh my God. The deputies arrived at the trailer home of 31-year-old Shauna Dodd and her 37-year-old husband, Brad. According to the information that Shauna had given to the 911 operator, the men that had broken into her home were there to rob them, and they were armed and dangerous. Because of this, the whole cavalry arrived. Shauna had said that only she, her husband, and her husband's 16-year-old cousin Allison 
of whom they had guardianship had been home at the time, that their two children were sleeping at her parents' house. So left in the trailer were only the men that had broken in and her husband when she and Allison had left. When asked if she believed that her husband had been hurt, she said that she didn't know. So for the Washoe County Sheriff's Department, this is a critical incident. They had armed men in a trailer. Maybe they had murdered someone, or maybe they had taken a hostage. The situation was unknown, but extremely dangerous, because of how close the Dodd house was in proximity to other residences. There was also about a foot of freshly fallen snow on the ground, so that could make the getaway difficult and make criminals feel desperate. The sheriff's department felt like the best tactic would be to handle the situation as if it was a hostage situation because they wanted to err on the side of caution and they wanted to believe that Brad Dodd was alive. And if that was the case, they wanted to keep him that way. And if this turned into a shootout, they also wanted to be able to handle it. So now we're going based on the information of of the wife that called in. Correct. So now it's what it seems to me like this this is an active thing, right? Like they're act they're actively there in the trailer. Right. She said when she they're going to further explain like the situation of what happened that night when she talks to police later on, but basically she was able to get away when she heard gunshots going off in the trailer. So she ran into the room with Allison and said, we have to get out of here. And she ran out a back door or a side door with Allison. And she said when she did that, the two men and her husband were still in the trailer. Okay. So basically they don't know if Brad is dead, those two gunshots, or if he's being held hostage and those were just two shots that might have missed him or or hit him in a place that was non-critical. Okay. On the 911 call, Shauna was hysterical. She kept telling the woman on the line that she wanted to go back to her house and see if her husband was okay. She was told not to do that, to stay far away. She was assured that the situation was being handled. The operator said to her that they had a lot of deputies there and they were going in guns blazing. And that was no exaggeration. Police cam footage exists of the night, and you could see seven large SUVs from the sheriff's department had arrived at the scene. As the snow fell quietly around them, the deputies moved swiftly into action with assault rifles. The contrast that exists in the video between the armed men descending upon the trailer while kids' toys and bikes sat discarded in the yard, snow piling on top of them, most likely Christmas gifts, is jarring. Over the police radio, you can hear what is happening. We have a four-man team approaching the house. We're going to attempt contact. At first, the response team makes themselves known. Someone bellows that the sheriff's department is there and someone should come to the door. But there's no response. They announce themselves again and say that they're coming in. Still no response. So they enter through the front door. The men on the outside wait on bated breath. They hide behind their vehicles and the doors of their vehicles, weapons aimed at the trailer, in case any of the armed men try to make an escape, or in case they hear gunfire inside 
and have to back up their fellow officers. After a few tense moments, they all took a collective sigh of relief when they heard the all-clear call. It appeared that the assailants had left the house after Shauna had fled the scene with Allison. The officers that had been in the trailer came out and said there seems to have been a disturbance at the scene. It was a mess, and it seemed as if there were a lot of things that had been knocked around and some drawers overturned. They also said that they found Brad Dodd. He had been murdered. They had found him lying in his bed with two gunshot wounds, one to the back of his neck, the other to the right rear of his skull. It seemed as if he had been shot while sleeping. That's very interesting. Uh, The scene doesn't feel right because I thought that there was gunmen in there. and Well, Shauna explains kind of how it went down. Okay. And then I think we'll get a clearer picture of what what happened. All right. Because right off the bat, it just seems like for there to be that much commotion, right, of having two gunmen inside your house, you don't think you'd find the guy, let's say, if he was indeed the target, let's just say, that he wouldn't be finding him in his bed so simply just with two gunshot wounds. Like he would wake up from all the sounds of everything happening. I feel like there would be more Mm -hmm. of a, not necessarily a struggle, but you would see like from one end of the trailer to the other, you would see a little bit of disarray, you know? And well, there just... was disarray in the house, they said. Okay. Hmm. All right. I guess we'll wait to but piece it together. <laughs> your flags are ready. They're okay. ready to my, fly. Yeah, my, yeah. Flag, my flags have been, <laughs> I got them in my pocket, I'm ready. <laughs> so now that it was clear that there was no threat or present danger, the response team from the county stepped down And the call was made for detectives to respond to the scene of the robbery, breaking and entering, and homicide. When the detectives arrived at the scene, they were met by a growing crowd of onlookers from the nearby homes. Recognizing an opportunity to get a quick and tentative canvas of the neighbors, the detectives told the deputies at the scene to speak with them all while they informed the families of what happened. Everyone appeared to be in shock that Brad had been murdered. They all described him as a really nice, hardworking guy who would do anything for anyone. They said it was a shame because he had two young children, and he had taken in his cousin, too. Knowing that the word was going to spread now that onlookers had arrived, the detectives knew that they had to make quick work of informing Brad's mother and Shauna that he had died as a result of the break-in. In later interviews, Brad's mother recalled hearing the news that her son had died. She said she fell to the ground and that it was like the whole world opened up beneath her. Next, the detectives would have to go to Shauna's aunt's house that was located up the street where she was with Allison to let her know what had happened. When the detectives broke the news to her that her husband and the father of her two children was dead, she immediately began to sob. She had been holding out hope that everything would be okay. Both Shauna and Allison were asked to come down to the sheriff's station to answer some questions about what had happened that night so they could begin the search for the men who had upended their family. As is protocol, they were questioned separately. It is hard to get a lot of information out of Shauna because she was so distraught. The detectives asked her to tell them everything 
allowing her to tell the narrative. They didn't want to sway her in any way or ask leading questions. They wanted the whole story to come from her directly while it was still fresh in her mind. And so they could have the full story. They asked her if it was okay if the interview was filmed. And she agreed. Once she calmed, she told them that Brad had gotten home around 4.30, 4.45-ish. And it was around then that she took their kids to her mother and stepfather's house so they could watch them. When she returned home, she made dinner for herself, Brad, and Allison. She made pork loin. And it was also kind of a ritual that when Brad got home, she would start dinner. And as she was making it, she would mix him up a Jack and Coke, which was his favorite drink. And he liked having, you know, after a long day of work. It was a normal night. She said that after dinner, Brad had gone into their bedroom and was getting ready for bed. She and Allison stayed up because they were playing video games. She said at some point, Brad must have fallen asleep because when she went into their bedroom at 10.30 p.m., he was already passed out. Shauna said that she had been lying in bed trying to fall asleep when she heard something. So see, right away, when the men enter the trailer, Brad's already sleeping. She's up. Okay. So she said it sounded like the front door being opened. So she nudged Brad. She knew that she had heard the door and felt like something wasn't right. But her attempts to wake Brad were failing. He just kept snoring. So she went to go investigate herself. And what did she find? She said she walked out of the bedroom and right to where they kept their guns. The detectives did interrupt here and asked her what type of gun that they had and she said she wasn't sure exactly what kind of gun it was, but it was a forty caliber XD. But that was all she knew. Okay. So what's that, like a handgun, a rifle? To be honest with you, I have to be honest, I don't know. Okay. It's not enough information. I mean, forty caliber, it can be any. It could so be it's anything, just I like guess. the kind of I ammunition would, it takes. I guess if I, had to take a, if I had to take a guess, maybe it's a handgun. Okay. So she went to the shelving unit where the couple safely kept their guns. So they were hidden away from the children and out of reach. So to get the gun, she had to reach up to the top shelf of the unit. And as she was reaching up, she felt something cold press against the side of her head. She told the detectives that she was pretty sure it was a gun. Then an arm reached around her and pulled down the arm that she'd been reaching up with. And the man took the gun out of her hand. Okay. She then said, and I quote, he asked me where the shit is. And I was all, what shit? And she said she had no clue what the armed intruder could be referring to. He clarified exactly what he was looking for. The safe. Okay, so they had a safe in the house. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now it kind of makes sense that Brad would not have awoken at this point. Because he's like, you know, it's it's more of a quiet interaction than it is someone coming in guns blazing. Right. They're, they're doing it more in the discreet of night. Correct. Right. So she said she didn't hesitate. She wanted to give them what they wanted so they could just get out of there. So she did what he wanted. 
and she took him to where the safe was, which was located in another room. She put in the combination. She said that it took a couple tries because she was shaking so badly, but finally she got it open. She gave them everything that was in the safe. From what she could remember, there was a black jewelry box, but she couldn't remember what was inside of it. And there were four Ziploc bags full of pot. Okay, so they're trying to hit them up with the to try to steal drugs. Right. Okay. So she clarified to detectives that Brad had a medical marijuana card for his injured back and that he used pot for that. And he always kept it in the safe so it was safely kept away from the children. And he didn't have any, like, the amounts over that he was allowed. Okay, well, that's responsible. Yes. <laughs> Same with the guns, too. Yeah. Also. kept out of reach. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, also, I, I looked, looked it up. up. I, just because I, it was bothering me. So I all I did was put in 40 cal XD. And the only thing that kept coming up was like a compact, a, uh, a Springfield uh, compact handgun. Oh, okay. Interesting. So I think that's what we're talking about. So it's like a very smaller kind of handgun. Okay. It's more, it's like the kind of, kind of handgun you'd have if you, like, you want to like be discreet and like. You conceal it. Conceal carry. Yeah. Because it's okay. very small. So yeah, that's what I think it is. Okay. That makes so, sense. Yeah. So is Springfield's. It's well, Springfield gun, yeah. Say what it, it says is. it's a Springfield Armory XDM forty. Okay. Compact forty cal. So that's So that's probably most likely the gun we're talking about. Yeah. I'm okay. not I'm not good with all of this. <laughs> but I mean this is what no, I think it is. No, sometimes your gun knowledge scares our listeners from other countries. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes, but I mean like I had no idea. But I mean it was a lot to go off of. But hey, the more you know. The more you know. The more you know. So as Shauna is pulling everything out of the safe. She said she heard Brad say from another room, what's going on? So now Brad has awoken. Okay. He must have woken up and there had to have been someone else there because there was a man that was basically holding her hostage. And she said as soon as she heard Brad say what's going on, she heard two gunshots and then a lot of crashing around the kitchen area. So the man that had been with her had taken the things that she took out of the safe and ran from the room, which is when she heard, go, go, go. So she recognized that as her time to move, but she didn't want to leave the trailer without Allison. So she ran into her bedroom because she wanted to check on Brad first, and she saw that he was laying in a pool of blood. Which might have must have been terrifying. So now all she's thinking is, let me grab Allison. Let me get out of here. And she hoped that Brad was injured but not dead. So she ran into Allison's room, yelled at her to get in the car, and then they drove to her aunt's house. And as soon as she got there, she called 911. Yeah, I mean, uh, I have to tell you, I feel like there's a lot of inconsistency and also a lot of red flags in her story. Okay. Now, I, I'm putting my cap on of i don't trust the wife right now okay so it's all coming from the you know perspective of i don't trust her right i think that the first red flag is having the kids not be present in the trailer that night okay the second red flag is you know she does know him intimately like she knows his routine very well and what he likes and what he doesn't like i wouldn't be surprised here if mm-hmm. She 
put something in his drink, and that's why he was very hard to wake up or even if he even got up at all. I see and what you're saying. honestly, I mean, I don't know what motive is yet, but I mean, the fact that they stayed up later, the other the other girl uh, as well uh, was Allison. Allison. Mm-hmm. So like Allison and her were up, you know, he went to bed. I think that he was completely unaware of what was taking place, but I think that there's a possibility of this. And the story, too, just doesn't seem to add up. I, I don't know where exactly as far as the intruders, but I, I just think that if he was just to go to sleep normally, right, without being drugged in any of any kind, right, you would have gotten up eventually. Yeah. I think if we're talking about a house, maybe it's a little different, but we're talking about a trailer that's a little bit more smaller. Yes. Definitely smaller than I'm sure it's probably 1,200 square feet or less. Yeah, I you would know, say I so. I think that like con- considering the fact that it's a confined space, I don't think that this story makes sense. Okay, and lastly, sorry guys, I'm going on a rant here, but no, lastly, we're here for it. I think that when you're dealing with home invasions, I think that sometimes when when murders are done in homes, I feel like sometimes it's a more personal thing. So like. And it's not just in one way. You say that all the time. Oh, it's personal. But I think we could separate it here and say personal in the sense that it's somebody that he knows or personal in in the way that he like he might have told people like, oh, I have this in my safe. I mean, I guess there's other possibilities, but I don't think he would do that. But I think there's other possibilities. You know, he could have told other people, you know, but I, I think that keeping the Well, people, that makes sense. Like yeah. people know what he keeps in his safe and that. He is a medical marijuana card holder, and we're talking back in 2012 where that was the only way you could legally obtain it. And yeah, that makes that's a huge motive in and in and of itself. But you're saying it's like a combination of the two. Like yeah. you think that there's some um, nefarious intentions coming from other members of the household. Right. You don't that like could, the story. Right. That could have um, ties to somebody outside of the trailer. Okay. And that's where maybe our motive lies because we don't know what it is. Is she really going to kill her husband over some bags of marijuana inside a safe? No, but it's a great way to add it to the story to make it look like somebody else did it. Right. Yeah, it's a good motive. So I don't know. It's all these little red flags to me um, that like don't sound right. All right. You're on edge. I'm on edge. (laughs) Well, Shauna said that she knew she shouldn't have left, but she was scared and she didn't know what to do. Detectives asked if there was more than one person there, because she described only having seen one person. She said that there had to have been at least two people there, because the person that was holding her at gunpoint um, was holding her at gunpoint, but also had a flashlight pointed at her while she was opening the safe so she could see. And she said that when she heard the two gunshots, the flashlight was still pointed at her, so there had to have been another person there. Plus, the gunshots came from another room. As the detectives were questioning Shauna, they were being fed information from the deputies who were questioning the crowd that had grown outside of the crime scene. They learned that Shauna was a bartender and that there had been a big dispute at the bar, the new Washoe bar that she worked at. And this incident or dispute involved her husband and another man named Byron. Thinking that this event could have been a catalyst for what happened, the detectives asked her about the incident. Shauna told the detective that yes, there had been an altercation at the bar, and it had been between her husband and two patrons, 
um, of the bar named Buddy and Byron. When asked to describe the incident at the bar on that occasion, it prompted her to have to explain the backstory behind what happened, which actually gave the investigators a large insight into the life of the Dodd family. Shauna explained that she had met and married Brad very young, 23 to be specific. With the same year the couple getting married, she became pregnant with their first child. Shortly thereafter, she gave birth to another child, and the couple decided that Shauna would stay home while Brad worked as a painter. She thought that she was in a fairy tale, the perfect happy family. But as the kids got older, Shauna searched for something to do and ways to spend her time outside of the home and also to be more independent, both like in her life and financially, and to contribute more to the household. Because as the kids got older and wanted to participate in more things or wanted more expensive gifts, it it would help having a dual income household. So the first job that she got that wasn't too far away from the home was at the local bar, the New Washu Bar. She loved working there, and the patrons seemed to love her. She was the fun bartender. But the more and more Shauna would spend her time, particularly her nights, at the bar, she felt a disconnect between her and her husband. She explained that she had been 23 when she married and had kids, so she felt like she never got to have that fun time in her life that she missed out on the parties and the nights out at the bar. So working as a bartender, she was able to have that life back again. She wanted to make up for lost time. Now, from everything I read and saw, I got the impression that Shauna partied a bit with the patrons and sometimes would leave the bar open after hours to hang out with people longer Um, And there was definitely a crowd that would stay and she would drink with them a bit. It's very interesting that she's choosing to do that when she knows she has kids. I feel like, I mean, everyone's entitled to their, you know, to their life and to have a good time. Or if you feel like you've missed out on stuff, you know, you could always try to, you know, have a good time, so to speak. But I mean, I feel like you got to take care of your kids and be in, you know, I don't know. It's it's just (laughs) you can't. You can never turn back the hands of time. No, you can't. And it's like, it's once you become a mother or, you know, or a father, I feel like all the other stuff has to kind of settle down. I feel like maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. No, I don't think you're necessarily wrong. I think that, you know, she was 23. So I wouldn't say that's, I mean, it's young, but it's not like she would have definitely been out of college if she had chosen to go to college. I think her mindset was she didn't go to college. She then went on to have kids, so she never got to experience that time in her life. And those of us that did, you know, love to tell people it gets it gets old pretty quickly. Right. You know, once you're done with it, you're kind of done with it by the age of 23. But she never got that out of her system. And what happens is when you never get that out of your system, you almost feel entitled to be able to have that wild time at yes. some point in your life. Definitely. And I think, um, moreover, I, I think that that is actually a cause for concern that, you know, she really did feel a a certain amount of animosity that she couldn't, that she lost out on that time. So even though I'm sure she loves her kids and everything, that's something that she, you know, feels bad about. Right. And I'm sure that animosity is not necessarily directed at her children, but maybe more, you know, at her spouse. Exactly. But then here's Brad also, you know, like having to work really hard too. That's true. 
but he is six years older than her. So I guess she felt like maybe he got to have fun. Well, some people can get over it and it's not a big deal and others, they just can't. So she's in that category and he doesn't, you know, he's in the other. Yeah. <laughs> they're in two different camps. Yeah. They're, it's hard when you're not on the same page as your spouse. Definitely. I could imagine. So she was definitely a fan of the attention as well at the bar. Especially the attention that she would receive from the men in their 20s. At this point, she was 31 years old and a mother of two. And the attention was something that she enjoyed. Patrons at the bar would describe her as being flirtatious. And that she could always be found at the bar because her husband Brad, who was a painter, was always out of town for work. And that's where, you know, she would go when her husband wasn't home. Yeah. See, that's bad, though, you this know. This is bad news. And, you know, maybe you feel disconnected, maybe because you want to be. Maybe yeah. you're you're looking for uh, what maybe Brad's not giving you because he's not there because he's working. <laughs> well, there's a saying that, you know, it's not that the grass is greener on the other side, but the grass is greener where you water it. If you're not giving attention to your relationship, it's not necessarily going to make the grass greener. It's going to make it die. I agree. So the way that Shauna explained the events of that night, the night that there was this incident at the bar, she said she had been at the bar with Byron and Buddy, and they had been hanging out with her while she was bartending. And Brad who she explained was not a bad guy, but was just upset that night. Um, he came in. And she was very nonchalant about the whole incident. She said that one of the men that she was with, 21-year-old Byron Kreck, um, was just trying to be a good friend to her, and it ended up escalating where he and Brad got into an argument, but she blew it off as if it had been nothing. Because the detectives did not know much else about the incident, they move on to the next thing that they wanted to talk to Shauna about. As we know so well at this point, the first thing done in an investigation is to rule out family involvement. So as they get a feel for what has been happening in the Dodd family up until this point, they need to ask about the missing puzzle piece, Brad's cousin Allison, who was living with them. They wanted the backstory there. Shauna said that eight months ago, in April of 2012, Brad's cousin Allison, who had been 15 at the time, had come to live with them. She said that the girl had come from a very troubled home and that she and Brad felt that it was an unhealthy environment for a teenager to be growing up in. So they decided that they would step up and become her legal guardians. I mean, that's really nice, at least. Very nice. You know, I mean... They don't have to do that, and they already have, right? They have two kids. Yes. I mean, that's a lot. Right, and it's it's the stand-up thing to do. She said that it was a hard choice because it involved taking on a lot of responsibility, both emotionally and financially, but they believed it was the right thing to do and would be worth it to help a family member in need. Shauna told them that she instantly attached to Allison, and the two became quick friends, like sisters. From an outside perspective, people believe that the relationship that Shauna had with Allison was a complicated one, and they did not necessarily think Shauna was acting appropriately. Shauna was in her 30s, 
And at the time of her arrival, Allison was just 15 and in need of guidance. But instead of taking on a mothering role in the girl's life, Shauna became more of her friend. And it wasn't the healthiest of bonds. And this is kind of connected with her behavior at the bar. Shauna is trying to relive a time in her life that she believes she missed out on. So like she becomes friends with the teenagers. She's hanging out with the kids in their 20s at the bar. And she's definitely acting very immaturely. Allison also became like Shauna's helper around the house. Definitely becomes like a Cinderella type situation here. That's really sad, actually. Yeah. She would help her with the children, the chores, and she would help her make dinner, bring Brad his drinks each night. And like I said, although this was not the healthiest of bonds, and Allison sure had a lot to do helping Shauna, especially as she was going to the bar more and more. And I think that's why Shauna felt comfortable going to the bar, because Allison was back at home watching the kids. Which is ridiculous because you have a kid watching kids. Right. And that's not why you took guardianship of this girl. Exactly. But at the same time, and this makes things all the more sad, was this really was the best family Allison ever had. That is really sad. That really does like pull out your heartstrings, right? Yeah. Because you think that this now this girl is going to be with a family member that's going to actually, you know, keep her feelings in mind and, and take care of her. And now she's being used as a babysitter and just uh you know a a maid and it's it's disgusting it is you know but because it is the best thing allison's ever known that's why she never complained because compared to where she had been it was safe stable um it was just it's really sad i'm gonna throw a red flag okay and the red flag is this you know the dc sniper Yes. And, and the whole dynamic between the two of them. Yes, yes, yes. I'm kind of getting that kind of vibe where it's like this, you're taking care of me and I could live here. I'm young. I'm impressionable. I'm, I'm you know, that kind of role that's right. taking place here. She's taking advantage of this girl who is in desperate need of love and affection and she's manipulating those emotions. Now, could now she be involved Somehow, because she feels the need to always be impressing or, you know, doing something for for Shauna. Shauna. Potentially. You know? Well, this is why when Shauna goes through this phase where she's upping her hours at the bar, Allison doesn't complain because she likes being with the kids at home and playing with them. But this definitely is very unhealthy for the relationship between Shauna and Brad. And while this is all happening and... Even though Allison is saying she doesn't mind, Brad did notice what was happening, and he was not happy about this new dynamic in his house. First, he was unhappy with what had been happening with Allison, but beyond that, he was unhappy with what was happening with his wife and what she was doing. It's hard for Brad because where they live is a very rural area, And for him to get work as a painter, he has to take jobs that are further away. So he's not home a lot. And it seems like in his absence, there's not good things happening at home. No, of course not. And actually, to even go into the fight that was done at the bar and the arguments there, too. I mean, think about it, guys. I mean, if you're 
uh, whether, you know, male, female, it doesn't matter. You go into a bar and you see your significant other, you know, chatting it up with a bunch of people and it's flirtatious and it's it, it's a little odd. I don't think anybody would be happy with that. And that's probably what was going on there. Let's not kid ourselves. Yeah. So she's getting attention from a bunch of guys. You know, he comes in. It's I mean, that's very bizarre. Yeah. Right? And You're- I would <laughs> say he's probably has his guard up because he is always away. Exactly. Yeah. You know. It's complicated. That's a very bad situation to be in. I feel like you're leaving for work and you feel like you can't trust that person you're with. It's rough. Yeah. Which then further creates this divide now on his end. Mm -hmm. So now not only is Brad upset about this whole situation, he's also not crazy about his wife working in that environment where um, she was wearing revealing clothing. She was coming home later and later. Like, it wasn't just she was working until closing. She was choosing to keep the bar open past operating hours. And to him, it seemed like she liked being at the bar more than she liked being home. And, of course, he was also not happy with the fact that people in their very small town began to talk about what was really happening at the new Washu bar. Uh-oh. So as the detectives are being fed this information... They pressed Shauna to go back to the incident that took place between her husband and the patrons at the bar in September of 2012. So that's when she has to go into further detail. She said that she would keep the bar open late because that's what the patrons at the bar liked and that she could get really good tips. And she believed that Brad was jealous of her job as a bartender And that he believed that she was cheating on him, but that she wasn't. Shauna admitted that that time in her marriage was not a happy one. And she and Brad fought all the time. In fact, some of their friends stopped coming over to the house because they felt it was so uncomfortable to be around them. Shauna said that Byron came into the picture around July. He had moved back into town because he had been looking for work. He would come into the bar frequently and she started talking to the 21-year-old because actually she and Brad were good friends with his parents. Okay. From whom Byron was estranged. And he had a rocky relationship with. So like she would talk to him about like, you know, your parents really care about you kind of thing. And that's how she started talking to him. That summer, to help pay for the additional person that had been added to their family, Allison, Brad had taken a lot of -of out-of-town jobs that paid good money. Byron came around the bar a lot, and Shauna hung around with him a lot, too. She didn't think her friendship, I guess we can call it, with this 21-year-old would really get back to Brad because he was always away. But I think she was underestimating the small-town rumor mill. Of course. Eventually, all of the late nights that she was spending with Byron and his friends got back to Brad, and he wasn't happy about it. Shauna told the detectives that he was very jealous and possessive of her. That everything he had done regarding the situation at the bar was just unreasonable. And just hours after his death, Shauna was definitely not depicting her husband in the most flattering of lights. What do you mean? Like, she's saying, like, oh, he was jealous and possessive and he he didn't like this. And it's like you would think that, like, she would still be reeling from his death and not wanting to, like, say anything bad about him, you know? 
That's very true. Almost like she doesn't care. <laughs> That's not good either. So all of these accusations and feelings culminated into the altercation that occurred on September 28, 2012. Shauna told detectives that Brad's jealousy hit a breaking point that night. So now I'm going to bring you the full events of what went down that night because I don't want to leave any of you in suspense and we don't want to hear the perspective about what happened that night from a biased point of view. So Brad Dodd was home on Friday night. So the 28th was a Friday night. He and all the kids were asleep, but he woke up after midnight and he realized that Shauna was not home yet from work. So he texted her basically asking her where she was. And she replied that she was just closing up the bar and she would be coming home. So two hours goes by and Shauna still does not come home, which angered Brad. And I'm also sure that within those two hours, his anger is just stewing, you know, and it's building. And that's never good. So he made the decision to go to the bar, which is really close to their house, and to see what was going on. When he got there, he saw that Shauna had not been closing the bar, but in fact, she was keeping it open past operating hours. So at this point, Brad was even more angry that his wife had not told him the truth. And when he went into the bar, he saw Shauna sitting down with Byron and his buddy, named Buddy, and they were all doing shots together. That's crazy. Yeah. And what followed was a series of very unfortunate events. Brad yelled to Shauna, you got 10 minutes to be home. And then he left. She followed And now he's getting back into his car, which was parked in the parking lot. All of the people at the bar, mostly men, responded to this because, like, you have to think of it from their perspective. This husband's coming in. He's screaming at his wife, who was being nice and keeping the bar open for them. So they get involved. So everyone kind of, like, piles out of the bar. Everyone's been drinking. This is just not a good scenario. And everyone's kind of against Brad, who at this point feels cornered in his car. So the person that goes up and talks to Brad at his window is Byron and Buddy. Everyone's kind of like yelling expletives, accusing him of being abusive towards Shauna. And it was a lot of people. So Brad seemed or thought that they were trying to like jump him. So he's like, let me leave So he was trying to leave. So he starts moving his car slowly. Some people got out of the way. Others didn't. One of them being Byron. And he ends up running over Byron's foot with his car. Well, maybe you should have got out of the way. And another thing. Why take, why have your husband take this kind of heat? Like, I, I, maybe he shouldn't have went in there and made a scene like that. But I mean, at that point, right. But at that point, that's your husband. All these guys, you should have been like, whoa, 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 you know. Like, try to kind of quell the flames, you know? I mean, that's your husband. What the hell, you know? Yes. Well, Shauna did not do that. In fact, she did the opposite. From inside the bar, she called the police. What? Okay. Well, maybe was she doing it maybe to help him? No. She called the police because her husband ran over Byron's foot. Oh, my God. She told them what happened and let dispatch know once they got to the bar that Brad was most likely headed to their house. So they sent out a patrol car to the bar and they sent out one to the house. So when Brad got home, 
the sheriff's deputies were waiting for him and he was arrested for battery with a deadly weapon. What? Yeah. You're joking. I'm not joking. That is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. I, oh, my God. Like, she doesn't care. She cares more about this 21-year-old guy than she does her husband. Mm-hmm. Seemingly. Mm. Unbelievable. So detectives were thinking that this was a big deal. And during the interview with Shauna, they voiced as much. Do you think it's a coincidence that something like that would happen and then three minutes later, your husband was shot during a robbery and no one else was? Could this be a crime of revenge? Like for Byron's foot? Yeah, like Byron and Buddy. (laughs) Well, kind of like if this relationship with Shauna and Byron and Buddy continued and Shauna was voicing that Brad was that kind of guy... Were they seeking revenge for her and the incident? You see what I'm saying? It's possible, right? I, I also think that the same way that Shauna has, I'm sorry, what's the girl's name again? Allison. Allison under like her, like wrapped around her finger. I, I think it's safe to say that he, he, she also has this Byron kid wrapped around her finger as well. I mean, it's it's clear. She obviously cares. They care about each other. It's obvious. Mm-hmm. And it kind of plays into what I was saying earlier where if she is involved, I think she has other players that are not a part of the family. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Well, she has roots that are that extend outside of the trailer that could help her commit a crime. Well, Shauna is very quick to defend both Byron and Buddy, two detectives, saying that she knew it wasn't them. Of course. So she said to the detectives, I'm their bartender. I know them. I can damn near promise you it wasn't any of them. I know them sober and drunk. I know them angry. So it wasn't those guys that had come in the house. Detectives were not as convinced as Shauna. So they began the process of trying to look for Byron Crack to hear his side of it all. At the same time this interview was going on with Shauna, Allison was being interviewed down the hall. Shauna had been crying and seemed to be in a state of shock, but Allison was distraught beyond measure. She had completely withdrawn into herself and was displaying signs of high anxiety. The detectives were patient with her, but it was clear that the last thing that she wanted to do was relive what had happened that night in their home. On camera, she just kept saying that she wanted to go home and go to bed. They said, you can, you just have to talk to us a bit. She told them that, yeah, she could talk for a minute, but that she just wanted to go to bed. Now, this was something that made sense to detectives. In later interviews, the detectives questioning her at the time said that her behavior would be what you would expect from a girl of her age that had just been in such close proximity to something as traumatic as a home invasion happening. They got it and they were empathetic to her which is why she probably eventually opened up to them. The detective asked if Allison could just tell them very quickly what had happened that night. She agreed. She said that she and Shauna had been playing Skylander in the living room when Brad had come out of the bedroom because it was late. He said he wanted Shauna to come to bed. She said that Brad telling her to do that started a fight between the two of them, and it made her really uncomfortable. She said that whenever the two of them argued, which was kind of frequent, she always felt uncomfortable. 
So as she always did, that night she went into her room when the two of them started arguing. It was kind of like her protocol. And she plugged her headphones into her laptop and turned up her music. This avoidance method is most likely a defense mechanism that she developed growing up in the environments that she did. The detectives asked Allison if she heard anything else besides the music that night, and she said she didn't. She said she likes her music loud, to drown out the noise. The detectives in the room doubted that very much. That seemed highly improbable, that she was in the same enclosed trailer as a gun going off twice and did not hear it, especially how loud the shots would have been, no matter how noise-canceling the headphones were. She said that all she knew was that Shauna burst into her room and told her they had to leave, and she had to get in the car. So she listened. She said that when she went from her room to the car that she didn't see anything, but she said that she knew that there was something going on and that she was scared. I mean, that's a great point, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, a, a noise-canceling headphones would totally uh, drown out, you know, up to a certain decibel. But, I mean, you got to understand that, like, like they got, like the cops were saying, small proximity, uh, you know, this is a forty caliber handgun going off. I mean, it's not. Well, we don't know if it was th- their gun. Oh, yeah, that's right. We don't know that yet. Yeah. Regardless, I mean, it's still extremely loud, and I don't think You're that, in that a would. Trailer. Right, come on. So I, I, I think that's a great point. So when the detectives asked her to elaborate about the situations between Shauna and Brad, Allison said that Shauna had been confiding in her about her relationship with Brad. So enter again the unhealthy bond that Shauna had developed with her now 16-year-old's cousin slash daughter, Allison. Shauna began to confide in Allison about the problems she was having with her husband, who, if we remember, is the cousin that agreed to take guardianship over her. So as you can imagine, this is probably very uncomfortable for Allison to hear. She told the girl that she didn't want to be married anymore. Allison, who had grown close to Shauna, thought that they were best friends. And she told her, you know, if she feels that way, that she should get a divorce. Shauna told Allison that she didn't think divorce was an option because she thought that if she did get divorced, that Brad would try and take the children away. She told the girl that once the couple had gotten into a fight and Brad left with the kids, and she was terrified that she was going to do it again. She was scared, and she didn't want to lose them. And to make matters more complicated, Allison feels this close bond with Shauna. And if Brad, if they were to get divorced and Brad took the kids away, because Brad was the cousin of Allison, Brad would have custody over Allison then. So that means that she wouldn't be able to be with Shauna anymore. Not only that, but it would also break up another home that she thought was stable. Correct. Which is even more upsetting, you know, and more traumatizing. Mm -hmm. So knowing the line of questioning that the detectives down the hall were using with Shauna, the detective in with Allison asked her if Shauna was seeing anyone else because she was unhappy in her marriage. And Allison said no. She said she would know if Shauna was seeing someone else because the two were glued at the hip. And that Shauna would definitely have told her that. 
She did add, though, that Brad was always accusing her of cheating and that he was a very jealous person. What was shocking to the detectives was that the two women seemed to be upset about what happened that night, but they didn't seem to be upset about what specifically happened to Brad or that they had lost their husband, father of their children, or cousin. The detective that had been in the room with Allison filled in the detective that was questioning Shauna about the fight that Allison said the couple had gotten into that night. So the man back in the room with Shauna said, you know, are you up for a few more questions? And she agreed to it. So he said, you know, you didn't tell us that you and Brad kind of got into a bit of an argument. She admitted that they had gotten into a fight, but she said that kind of happened almost every other night because Brad had a problem with her coming to bed too late. She said that her relationship with Brad had been rocky, which was why she had been spending more time at the bar. But after the incident where Brad hit Byron, things got really bad, but then they were trying to work on things again. I just don't believe her at all. Mm -hmm. She said everything was really complicated because Brad was looking at a year in prison for the charges associated with the incident at the bar. This made Brad very angry because the entire situation surrounding it. Like, why is he ending up in jail for a year because of this? Shauna explained that Brad was offered a plea of a gross misdemeanor, which would mean that he would have to serve a year in prison. Shauna said that she begged Brad to take this plea because the if he didn't, he was, you know, facing the charge of battery with a deadly weapon, which is a felony. And that that was two to 15 years in prison. That is insane. That is insane that this is happening all because he went there to see if his wife was okay and to have her come home pretty much because what she was doing was ridiculous. Yeah. And now he's paying the price. Yep. Ugh. Well, Brad thought the same way you were thinking. Like, I can bring this case to trial because any reasonable jury would be like, how, why is this guy going to jail for this long over that? So after four days in jail for the incident, because they didn't have enough money to post bail, um, Brad is going to go against Shauna's advice and through his lawyer was able to post bail and pleaded not guilty to the charges. She said they fought about this a lot, too, because after he got out of jail, Brad had to pay for this really good defense attorney that he had hired and the only problem with hiring a really good defense attorney is that they're really expensive. So Brad had to take even more jobs further away from home. So this was just a really tumultuous time for their family. After getting out of jail, Brad took a week-long job out of town. And Shauna said that she was really nervous for his return because she feared that he would blame her for the entire event. She said he had a temper. So as the days came closer to him coming back home, she was getting anxious. But that when Brad came home after a week of being away, he really surprised her. He came home. He said he was sorry, said that he wanted to repair their marriage and make things work. He said he knew that he had had some things to work on and he was willing to do that. But he needed her to meet him halfway and quit her job at the bar. Okay. So he's kind of giving her like an ultimatum a little bit. Yes. Yeah. And she said she agreed to do that. 
So she was going to quit her job at the bar and the two of them were going to recommit to each other. And this was kind of supposed to be a fresh start for the two of them. You know what's so hard about the relationship? I mean, we're really hearing it from one side. Yes. And other than the bar incident where a few people were there to witness like him coming in and yelling at her, you got 10 minutes. Other than that, we really don't know if that's true because I think it does play a big role if he is or is not abusive in any way. I completely agree. I feel like, well, I also feel like Allison is a good perspective and you know what, most likely too the children but as, as of this point in the investigation the kids want to the, the detectives want to keep the kids out of the yeah the question i just to I, traumatize them yeah well. i just would love to know if he actually was you know i mean it, i mean still no one deserves to uh to be murdered or anything like that of course but i think that we would get a better dynamic and a better picture be, you know behind that curtain if we knew well i feel like she's saying that he's controlling and possessive but She's not offering up examples of it, except for this particular incident at the bar, which didn't seem to be too possessive it's, in yeah. my case. And also, like, she's... In, in my opinion, I'm sorry. Yeah. And also, she's not really making it easy for him either to, like, quell the feelings inside of him, like, if there's something happening or not. Right. So the detectives released Shauna and Allison after the final interview. And now they would have to work to corroborate their stories by looking at the crime scene. When they got there, um, the detective realized that this was going to be a difficult case to work on because what the scene showed seemed to be something different than the story that was told to them by Shauna and Allison. There appeared to be no damages to the doors in the home, which, after an armed break-in, you think there would be. In fact, there seemed to be no signs of a break-in whatsoever. There were a few things upended, but it didn't really make sense if like what Shauna was saying was that the intruders really wanted to hone in on what was in the safe. So why were they upending things in the house? Also, and luckily for them, it had snowed the night of the break in and murder. Shauna had told them that when she was lying in bed, she heard the front door open. And when she and Allison left the trailer, they had gone out the back door. But when they examined the snow, there were no footprints leading up to the front door. Wow. Okay. We're getting a better picture here now. But what really sold the detectives on the fact that the details Shauna gave them were untrue was the positioning of Brad's body. It was apparent that he had been shot while he was sleeping from the entry point and the trajectory and of the shot and the position of his body. So what Shauna said happened wouldn't make sense. She said that she heard Brad get up and say, what's going on? And then she heard two gunshots. But if that were true, why would Brad say, what's going on? And then turn to go back to sleep. It wouldn't make sense. And then she said that she heard Brad say, what's going on? Two shots and then moving around in the kitchen. Well, if that were the case, then Brad's body would have been found closer to the kitchen. It just, it all seemed to make no sense. And they were pretty certain at this point that Shauna wasn't telling them the truth. Whether she did it or she was covering up for someone, they didn't know. But they knew that things didn't go down in the trailer the way that she said they they did. And now, if anything, uh, you know, the, the fact that the trailer might have been 
you know, in disarray as far as things being moved and thrown around. Now that makes you think that almost it was staged. And it, and it goes based on what I was saying earlier about his body being there on the bed. It doesn't make sense. Right. So next, the detectives want to know who would want to hurt Brad. And from what they learned from Shauna, Byron Kreck seemed like a good suspect to them, too. If this kid did have something going on with Shauna, they were sure he wouldn't be happy that the couple was trying to work on their marriage again and that Shauna would no longer be at the bar. He also was most likely not happy with the fact that Brad, after the detectives looked further into this incident, would not be receiving a consequence for what happened. When it came to the car incident at the bar, it was determined on December 27th, just two days before the murder, that Brad would not be serving any prison time for what happened back in September. Hmm. The assault was brought down to a misdemeanor because Brad had a clean record, no history of violence, no calls to the house um, like on domestic violence or anything like that. Um, So did learning that Brad was not going to have to pay for what happened send Byron Kreck or one of his friends with him on the path of revenge? (sighs) Or did it force... Shauna's hand to do something about him because she knew that he wasn't going to be going away and maybe going away would mean that they would have more time with that uh, Byron. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it almost like sped up what she wanted to do, which, which is to get rid of him. So if he was to go away of prison to prison for a year, at least she'd have a year to like do what she wants, you know? And now maybe this is her way of being like, damn, I didn't get what I want. Well, you know what? Let me just, let me just end it na- like like now so I could just be free. Like you said, forced her hand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the detectives either way wanted to speak to Byron. But before they could, they were informed that someone was at the station and wanted to speak with them. It was Lauren Crack, the stepfather of Byron Crack. Ooh, okay. Now, this is interesting because the detectives knew that they were going to learn some valuable information because not only was Lauren Kreck the stepfather of Byron, but if you remember, he and his wife are also friends with Shauna and Brad. Right, exactly. This person might have some really valuable information. Oh, yeah. Well, and maybe he does. It does. Okay. He does. <laughs> awesome. Lauren said that they were estranged from Byron for many reasons. He explained that his son spent his time wandering from social circle to social circle, from job to job, girlfriend to girlfriend, all along the way, lying, deceiving, and wreaking havoc everywhere he went. (laughs) Put that in your Instagram profile. That's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Lauren said that he and his wife, who was Byron's biological mother, were less than enthusiastic when he came back into town looking for work because they knew that there was trouble to come. He said that instead of looking for work, Byron began spending all of his time at the new Washu bar. He said, my wife and I saw him there every day. Sometimes he would spend 10 hours a day there. We knew something was going on, and it makes sense now. What do you do when you want to hang out at the bar all day, but you don't have a job to pay for drinks? You make really good friends with the bartender. That is true. At first, Lauren and his wife thought that Byron was just wasting his time away and not doing the right thing. But then they began to hear the rumors 
that he was having an affair with Shauna. And this was very concerning to them because this is a woman who was a mother of three because of the addition of Allison, and she was married to Lauren's best friend, Brad. It was all a betrayal and a shock at many levels. The couple was also ashamed because the rumors had come out because of Byron himself. Apparently, Byron was going around town saying like, yeah, I don't hang around the bar to drink. I hang around the bar to F the bartender. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, yeah. Jeez Would Louise. Would be forward. <laughs> well, Lauren was not done with this information. He said this was all so upsetting and he was ashamed that his son was doing this and he wanted to make things right because Brad was his friend. So because they felt guilty and responsible for what was happening, he and his wife decided on November 1st of 2012, about two months before the murder. And if you remember, this is after Shauna promised to recommit to her relationship with Brad that they should go over to the trailer and tell Brad what was happening. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me right now? It's going to be an uncomfortable situation. Like, imagine, imagine that. Oh. Just just like, all right, I'm just hanging out in my house, you know, Just and then I answer the door and it's my wife and this dude. And, uh, hey, we just want to tell you. No, no, what, so his wife. Oh, yeah, his wife. Right. Hey, we just want to tell you what we've been doing. <laughs> Our son's having an affair with your wife. Oh, my God. That's wild. Unfortunately, it's probably happened a time or two before. Yeah, I guess you're right. Okay. So Lauren and his wife go to the Dodd house, and they ring the bell. Brad answered the door, and they said, we don't want to come in. This is a really hard thing to say, but we know you're going to find out sooner or later, and it's we think it's best it comes from us. Lauren said that he told Brad, you're my brother, and this is one of the hardest things I'll ever have to tell you, but your wife is cheating on you with my son. Oh, my God. But Lauren didn't stop there. He said, listen, um, I know the kind of person Byron is, but you need to know that what people are saying is that Byron isn't the one doing the pursuing. From the way it looks down at the bar, from what everyone's seeing, it seems like Shauna's the one who's pursuing him. That is so crazy. This is so insane. Uh, Yeah. Lauren told the detectives that he really thought that this was going to have an effect on the marriage of Brad and Shauna, but it did not. He said that Brad was really committed to keeping his family together and making things work with her. He did confront her with the allegations, but Shauna denied it and told him that she loved him and that she was committed to their marriage, which was why she she quit working at the bar. And in the end, Brad said he didn't know what happened. And all he knew was that he wanted to save his family. I feel bad for Brad. Me too. So the couple continued to work on things. He forgave her for whatever happened and he moved on. Wow. And it seemed as if Brad had really done that. After Shauna quit her job, they needed more money which meant Brad would have to take more jobs out of town. But seemingly, he trusted Shauna to just stay at home with the kids, and he went off. But eventually, because of the need for it financially, Shauna did return to the bar, but at a really reduced time. Like, she didn't spend late nights at the bar anymore, like she did a few afternoon shifts. 
Okay. I mean, at least it's something. And I'm right. sure that takes some of the burden off of, yes. of Brad. And Lauren told the detectives that Brad felt like everything was all good, but he knew better. Lauren knew that it wasn't. Even though Byron had told them that he had broken things off with Shauna, they knew that not to be true because people around town were telling them that they had been seeing Byron and Shauna together outside of the bar. The detectives asked how recent that was, and Lauren said that about three or four days before the murder, someone told him that they saw Byron and Shauna together. And then Lauren said as soon as he heard that Brad had gotten murdered, he freaked out and he wanted to talk to his son. The only problem was that Byron had gone kind of MIA on them again, which happened periodically. So when that happens, Lauren said, this is like a wild situation. Lauren said that he would reach out to his biker contacts, which would always have a way of getting like a hold of Byron. I don't know how, but they did. So that's just so crazy. I know, I know. <laughs> to read that out loud. <laughs> it's a sentence that I wrote. Oh boy. So, the biker contacts get a hold of Byron. They get a message to him saying, you got to call your dad. When Byron did call Lauren and his mother, they said, listen, Brad has been murdered. You have to come back and turn yourself into the police because you're going to be a suspect in the murder and you have to do the right thing because they're going to think it's you. And Lauren said that after he talked to his son, he came right down to the sheriff's station because he wanted to tell the detectives all this as well. And they asked Lauren, like, do you think Byron was involved? And he said, yeah, I do. I mean, what a hard thing, right? It's like, yeah. you know, that's your, like, that's your son. You know, you're looking out, I guess you're trying to look out for his best interest, but at the same time, you don't know what he's capable of because he he he's wrapped around her, uh, her finger and you don't know. Well, like, and I think he also has a very seemingly shady past and has done things badly before. So I think they just thought he got himself another bad situation. Well, the father's not wrong because it does look like he is involved or at least a suspect at the very least. Yeah. Right? So whatever Lauren... And those bikers must have said to Byron must have scared him because shortly after the stepfather left the station, Byron Crack came into the station to be interviewed by detectives. Okay, good. These detectives are so lucky. Everything just came to them. And people are just showing up. <laughs> yeah. The detectives started off hard with him, letting him know that they had a lot of evidence that was working against him and making him look like he could have motive. Byron told the detectives that he had never had a problem with Brad until that night at the bar. He explained the whole thing was a misunderstanding that night. He said Brad came in, yelled at Shauna at the bar. She followed him outside. And he and Buddy also went outside, but they did so only because they wanted to make sure things didn't become physical between the two of them. And that other people from within the bar followed them but that he didn't have the same intention as the other patrons did. Like, whereas the other patrons were like yelling at Brad, that wasn't what Byron and Buddy were doing. I mean, that's kind of hard to like. To take say. A, yeah, hard to say. And also to take him on his word. Well, there's there's a reason why I think we can trust what he's saying. Okay. So Byron said that he approached Brad's car when he heard the other patrons at the bar yelling at him. 
and he said he wanted to make his intentions clear. He said to Brad, listen, I'm not attacking you. I'm just trying to stop you from doing something you're going to regret. And that when Brad backed up and ran over his foot, it like Byron knew it was just an accident. Okay. So they parted on good terms. He said, I never sought medical attention. I never made a claim that Brad intentionally harmed me. It had been Shauna that called the police and said that he recklessly ran over my foot. And when the police talked to Byron, he was adamant that he didn't want to press charges against Brad. Shauna's unbelievable. Yeah. And detectives look back at the police report and they learn that Byron is telling the truth. Okay. Well, and that's, that's good. part of the reason why the, why everything got dropped was that he was not cooperative in the investigation because he didn't want to press charges. And, and now it's like you even see more like Shauna, her plans are very nefarious. Like you could tell like yeah. everything that she's doing, there's a reason. Yeah. Oh, man. So why would Shauna have called the police on her husband? Byron told the detectives that Shauna had told him that she was done with her marriage and wanted out. And maybe that was her way of getting him out of the picture. He also admitted that while Brad was in custody at the county jail was when he began his affair with Shauna. Yep. They asked him if he was involved in the murder of Brad Dodd, and he said he didn't have anything to do with it and that he didn't have anything to hide. On the night of the murder, he was at his grandparents' house in Lovelock, which is an hour and a half away. They asked him if his DNA would be in that bedroom, and he said, no, it shouldn't be. And he allowed them to take a DNA sample. Okay, so he has to be very confident and yeah. know for 100% fact that he didn't have anything to do with it to give yeah. up his DNA so willingly. Well, hopefully the affair didn't happen in the trailer. Then he's screwed. Oh, you know what? That's true, actually. That's what good, I was thinking. Good I was, point. When the detectives in the, like, because this is a taped interview, when they were like, Should, is your DNA going to be in the bedroom? I'm like, he just admitted they're having an affair. It might be. Yeah. But, but I feel like she's the type that it wouldn't be in the trailer. Well, you're right. It was not <laughs> yeah. in the trailer. Um, none of Byron Crack's DNA was found at the crime scene. And the detectives clear him as a suspect. But everything that they had heard from him and his stepfather made them take another hard look at Shauna and Allison. On December 30th, they brought Shauna in for questioning and asked her to explain some of the discrepancies in her story. The lack of damage to the trailer, the lack of prints, the position of her husband's body, and the fact that indeed she had been having an affair. She did everything she could to explain it all away. And the detectives chose not to pursue their thoughts any further. Rather, they intended to keep an eye on Shauna and see what she did now that she knew she was a suspect. On the following day, on New Year's Eve, the detectives decided to canvas the area to see if anyone had seen anything the night of the murder. Maybe the, the two armed men driving there or driving away. So they questioned all of the residents and business owners on East Lake Boulevard. One of those businesses was the new Washu Bar, which meant that they spoke to Shauna's boss, the owner of the bar, a woman named Levita. Well, Levita had a lot of information for them. And it was intense. She started off her interview by telling the detectives that she thought she was involved in the case. Okay. And they're like, do you want to come down to the station and talk? And she's like, yes, yes, I do. 
this is wild. They just these detectives barely had to do any legwork here. It's just like everything's everyone's coming coming forward. Yeah. (laughs) In this interview, she was clearly nervous, Levita, and she said that she had this sick gut feeling all along that she was involved and this whole thing just scared her, but she needed to talk about it. She said that she had received a call from Shauna and Shauna had told her that something happened and this is the night of the murder and that she put a bag in her driveway and she needed her to hide it. In response, she had asked Shauna what happened and Shauna said that she snapped. The detectives asked Levita what that meant to her and she said that when Shauna said she snapped, she thought that it meant that she had killed Brad. She assumed then that whatever was in the bag would be incriminating to Shauna. She went outside and looked inside the bag that Shauna had indeed left by her car. Are you ready for what's inside? You're gonna, you're <laughs> actually going to die. Okay. A pair of rubber gloves, bags of marijuana, the contents of the safe. Oh, God. Yep. A white Echo sweatshirt, a green pair of camo pants, and John. A forty caliber Springfield pistol. No, stop it. I know when you said it, I die. I was, I was like, keep it together, keep it together. <laughs> okay, a that is so pistol. crazy. Okay, so oh. she used their own weapon. Yes, yes. on him. And she went into the safe and took out something that they would think that was used. Because uh, you know that, that was taken motive. in a crime. Yep. And then all her clothes that probably has all blood spatter all over from what she did. Mm-hmm. Dude, wow. So, Levita said that she'd been hanging on to this for 48 hours. Levita. She was scared. Come on, girl. Well, she was probably thinking, if Shauna's capable of doing this to her husband, what's she capable of doing to me? I mean, I understand, but like, I mean, small town, someone's dead. You you know, you know that police are going around and trying to investigate the murder. Mm Mm-hmm. Come on. But you know what? Eventually she tells. Okay. So well, good job, Levita. True. Yes, you're right. You're right. So the bag was taken from Levita because she said, I, I kept it in the back of my car. Like, I have it. Do you want it? Oh, my God. Um, they run ballistics tests on the weapon, and they find that it is a match for the weapon that was used to kill Brad Dodd. So now they know that Shauna was either the one who killed Brad or she was covering up for the person who did it. On the following day... New Year's Day of 2013, someone shows up at the police station. Why are you smiling Again. Like that? Well, because everyone just shows up at the police station to talk to them. <laughs> okay. This time, it's 16-year-old Allison. Oh, boy. Okay. She told them that she had come because she needed to get something off of her chest. She said that she was feeling very guilty about something she had done to Brad. She said that after everything Shauna had been saying to her, about how Brad was bad to her, about how they would be better off without him, and how if she got a divorce that he would take the kids and her with him. And this upset her greatly. She said that he was controlling Shauna, the one person in her life that she could count on and the one person that was nice to her. According to Shauna, Brad was the one who was threatening to tear apart the only happy home she had ever known. And because of that, Allison agreed to do something for her. See, I knew it. I, Oh, okay. 
What's she do? Allison said that when she was making Brad's drink, mixing him the drink that she did every night, that she crushed up pills and put them inside. I knew it. 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 Well, wait, there's more. Oh, man. What were you trying to do? The detective asked. To put him to sleep? To kill him? And she said yes. That she was trying to kill him. Shauna had been manipulating a vulnerable, impressionable, and traumatized teenager to do her own dirty work so she could continue having fun. Allison continued by telling the detectives that Shauna told her that if they divorced and Brad took her and the kids away, that she wouldn't have anything in life. But if she stayed, she would be controlled and be in physical danger. The reason why... Shauna called the police on Brad, according to Allison, was that Shauna was trying to build this record on Brad so that if they ever got divorced, she could say, look, he has a past violent crimes, so I should have custody of the children. But when all of that got excused, her plan went out the window, according to Allison. Okay. But I don't think that was ever Sean, Shauna's plan. I think she just wanted to temporarily get him away. But this is, again, how she's manipulating Allison. So now, because that part of the plan was foiled, they're desperate. So Allison said that she would do what Shauna wanted her to do because she believed she was saving Shauna's life and her own life. This is sick manipulation, though. I like know, It really disgusting. is at the highest level of it. The, the amount of, you know, in her, if anything, Shauna is the one that's dominant, is dominating over, over Allison. Well, wait, I'm not done yet. Okay. There's more twists and turns. All right. Sorry. So she said that Shauna, again, wanted him to go to prison. He didn't. So the detectives are shocked by all of this. They're like, oh my God. I like, they knew that Shauna was involved, but they didn't know this deep level of manipulation and, like, how could she do this to Allison? But, okay, so the detectives asked Allison, well, what happened after you gave Brad the drink? Because if you gave him the drink with all the pills in it, then he would have died from that. But he didn't die from that. He died from gunshot wounds. So they're like, what happened? And she said, nothing happened. Because the night I crushed up the pills was the night that Lauren Kreck and his wife came over to the house to tell Brad about the affair and the drink was forgotten about. Oh. He never drank it. She, this poor 16-year-old girl, just felt so guilty that she had to tell the police. Because she knows deep down that what she was involved in was wrong. Yeah. And evil. <laughs> and know? that she, I think now, after... Brad had been murdered, actually. In retrospect, she was realizing what was happening to her and that and that she felt guilty because she knew that Brad was not that man that Shauna was accusing him of being. See, yeah. See, now, you know, this is it that shows that action of going in there and, and explaining what she what she did. Right. I mean, you could see the innocence. Yeah. She's an innocent 16-year-old girl that's been manipulated and toyed with. And has had a very difficult life. Exactly. And, you know, yeah, I'm sure the thought of having to relocate or go somewhere else also uh, causes a lot of stress and anxiety. And then once you get there, you just have to, like, pick up the pieces of this mother who wants to go out and have 
a good time instead of raising her kids. Yeah. And this poor guy that doesn't even know what's happening. I mean, literally, your wife's plotting to kill you. I mean, and you're good enough to take geez. in your cousin who's in need. Yeah. So Allison explained that when the poisoning didn't work, and if you remember from the timeline, the day that they went over the house was on November 1st. So when the poisoning didn't work, Shauna began working on another plan. Allison said on the night of December 28th, when they were playing video games, and Brad came in asking her to come to bed, Shauna did get up and go to bed. But she told her that if the opportunity presented itself, that she would shoot him. Allison went to her room to hang out by herself. Um, she didn't think that Shauna was serious. She thought that she had been kidding, just like talk like she always did. But this time, it was real. So Allison went into further detail. She said that she had been in her room for maybe five or ten minutes, that she had her headphones in, and that she had listened to a few songs when she heard loud shots. And then Shauna came running into her room. She said she was so upset when she realized, like, Shauna killed Brad because she had felt so guilty about almost killing him that she was struggling with her mental health. And when Shauna appeared in her doorway, it made Allison sick to her stomach. And she was hysterical. She started crying and she screamed at her, I fucking hate you because she did what she did. And now she involved her in it. Like she said in that moment, she hated her for everything, for manipulating her, for being the person she was, for killing Brad. And Shauna told her basically like, you got to get over it and you got to help me now because you're involved. So we need to trash the house and then we have to leave. Allison was wise enough to understand that Shauna had taken advantage of her by manipulating her with the idea of a love and a friendship that was never there. She felt terrible about what she had done or had been a part of doing to her cousin. In the end, the Washoe County Sheriff's Department would be able to charge Shauna with Brad's murder without Allison's confession because the gloves in the bag came back with her DNA all over them and the ballistics matched. But what Allison did in confessing helped the police understand what happened and saved her from prosecution. Yeah. Because they didn't pursue prosecution into Allison. Right. Because she was just kind of a, like a, almost like a, Ca like a, I was going to say casualty, but she is. She's a uh, casualty yeah, she, and a victim. Yeah. Herself. You can't really charge her with anything. I mean, she's really being forced to do it all. But I don't know. It's tough. It's like somebody was looking after that girl because he didn't drink that drink that day. Because yeah. if he did, then you'll see. Okay. You'll see. On January 3rd, 2013, the detectives went to Shauna's grandfather's house, where she was staying because the trailer was still considered a crime scene. They asked her about the bag that she left at Levita's house. Just when you thought she'd done the worst things possible, she made it worse. She told the detectives, I think you should speak with Allie. She was trying to pin this all on Allison. Get out of here. She said, I don't want to jump to conclusions, but certain things she's saying just aren't adding up. I know she has a temper. She's 16, 
but at the same time, I don't want to go down for something I didn't do. In response to her trying to blame Allison for all of this, the detectives read her her rights and arrested her for the first-degree murder of her husband. Good. If he would have drank that drink that night, she would have immediately said, I saw Allison put pills in that drink and kill him and and make her go down for it all. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yep. There's no doubt in my mind. So that girl got so lucky because I think the whole time she was planning on pinning this on Allison. Shauna was found guilty of first-degree murder after a jury deliberated her case for six hours. She planned the murder and purposely sent her kids to her parents' house. You called that right in the beginning. I did. So they were saying that's a part of her planning the murder. Yes. She planned for her children not to be there, but for for Allison to be there. Yep. Because that was her plan B, was to blame Allison. Yeah. And when you said the whole thing with the drink, like that he always has a drink every night. Right. Something just, yeah. He was drugged a little. Yes. And he might have been. So she was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. In her appeals, she has still tried to blame Allison by claiming the prosecution did not look into Allison enough as a suspect for one of the reasons for her appeal. Her appeals have all been denied. There was no reason for Brad Dodd to die. She just wanted to do what she wanted without consequences. Brad Dodd's mother has said in interviews that his children miss him terribly, that they have told her that they're glad they have pictures of their father to look at. But what they really want is to feel his hugs again. That's really sad. Based on everything that we do know, he seemed to be a very hardworking guy that really was trying to provide for his family. And I, and it's sad when now you have these children and Allison as well now without Brad, okay? Yeah. The, the kids are without their mom. It's what a horrible... What a horrible situation. And everybody in this family is affected. The grandparents are affected because now, illegally, they're probably taking care of these kids now. It's 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 a lot. It's a burden on everyone. It's really sad. Well, I don't want to say burden. I'm sorry. But like, you know, like just everyone has to come mean. together to really pick up the slack. Yeah. So it's it's tough. I feel really bad for Allison in the situation, too, of being manipulated so much and, and then being made out to be the criminal that did it all. Yeah. Oh, she was going to blame Allison for everything. Yeah, I think that was the fall. That was the fall uh, back option. Like that was Plan B. Yeah, you know. I agree. Um, also, I think it's really funny that she would even say that Allison would be even able to get the gun and shoot him because if the gun was in the safe, just like the drugs were, because they didn't want to run their kids. How do we know that Allison would even know the code to open the safe to take the gun out? I think in her <laughs> desperation, that's what she was. She was saying. She, I, I think she did not think Levita would tell them about the bag. Right. Because she must have maybe did the same with her where she would be continually telling her stories about Brad and that maybe that pulled on that woman's heart. What manipulators do is they look at things that have happened in your life. They prey upon those things. Like with Allison, she was missing a love, a family, and that's what she gave to her and then had it threatened to be taken away. Yes. With Byron, she was giving him exactly what he wanted. They were having sex. You were getting free drinks. And then she was claiming that she was this victim of abuse within her home, which is then going to make him feel like, oh, I, sh- I want to protect her. And then maybe with Levita, we don't know her backstory, but if she's feeding her stories of Brad being an abusive husband, 
her as a female business owner is going to want to protect her female employees. And I think she counted on her not giving anything away either. Yeah. I think people saw through her story. Yeah. And I think that manipulators, I mean, I do think that they, they do possess, um, (laughs) you know, it, it is a skill almost like, you know, you think about people that, you know, who are very sociable, right. And people that are, that command, uh, a crowd, right. Anybody that can do that, you know, most people use that for good, like to be a very social person and have a, you know, and have a lot of friends and use it maybe in their in their field of work. You know, that's where it's used in a positive light, but it can be used in a negative light like that, where she was able to pinpoint things where she could have the upper hand on them. It's 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 a twisted skill that people do possess. That's really sad. It's insane, and it's crazy how far. The uh, like that spectrum could be of being able to manipulate somebody, right? It's actually scary, and it's sad that Brad fell victim to it all. I feel bad for him and his children. Yeah, me too. I feel bad for the whole family, Allison as well. Okay, so before we go, what we want to do is we want to thank our new supporters on Patreon, and John's going to read a few reviews. Let's do it. So. Want to say thank you so much to Angelica Ramos. Happy Valentine's Day. Patreon's definitely a great gift, so we hope you're enjoying it. Jacqueline Davison, Nathan Wilcoxon, Autumn Beverly, Haley Green upped her pledge, Hope Rose, Samantha Hormer, Reagan Frucci, Carly Drum, Jennifer L., Lisa Heineman. Rachel Sue, Shona Peterson, Sam Chizinkis, Jacqueline, Karmthik Manny, Michelle Fernandez, Rob Christian, Rebecca Karev up to her pledge, Elizabeth, Dominique McDowell, Ashley, Rachel Hickman, Sarah Springer, Grace, Robert Henselder, Jess C. edited her pledge. Emma, Mike G., Lacey Haskin, Carrie Kemp, Alexa, Ashley Smith, Brandy Davis, Bethany Sheely, Carly Gottschall, Ashton Brathwaite, Izzy, and NK. Thank you so much. We hope you're enjoying the Patreon episodes. And what we're going to do now is we're going to have John read the reviews for for you are you excited i'm excited this is nice they're all five star reviews oh check that out we have not gotten any below five stars since the last time we read (laughs) reviews which is really good (laughs) don't say that out loud (laughs) knock on wood all right let's see what do we have oh i like this i like this first one okay okay we like them all you are correct we like them all all right so um title here we got we are all evil are we not it's our intro. It's our intro. So says says Richard Ramirez in the intro for the true crime couple. It's and it's chilling, but then Peter Jennings jumps in and says, "Lock your doors, lock your windows," and so it goes, and so it goes. The worst of humanity made safer by the best. Kay and John get into the gritty with good research and writing, then temper the material with well considered perspectives and banter that is wholesome and compassionate the true crime couple make me believe in the best of humanity in spite of telling me the worst ergo don't park next to vans i love it yeah who left that from karen nick 
I, Karen, we might need to hire you for PR because that is the nicest sounding review ever. Thank you so much. It is. Thank <laughs> you so much. Okay. So let's do another one. Okay. The title of this one is Like a Comfort Blanket, but with murder. I love it. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So there is something so comforting about listening to Kay tell John these stories. Their sweet banter and honest opinions are refreshing. The stories are obvi- obviously well-researched and are told in the in an entertaining way. I started listening from the newest episodes just this year, but quickly went back and started listening from the beginning. It's really cute to see the evolution of this couple and their recording gear over the years. Since I started listening recently, I can binge this show all the time. Keep it up, Kay and John. So nice. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Who said that? Best Bestie? Our Bestie. Bestie. Yeah. Oh, we like the American Horror Stories. Remember Bestie? Oh, my God. That was actually really good. Uh, see, you're triggering me. <laughs> Sorry. Um, okay. Uh, there was another one, uh, My Favorite Podcast, and then it just says, just never disappoints. Very nice. Yeah. Um, I was like, ooh, a good short one for John. He'll be excited. <laughs> yeah, that was good. <laughs> okay, this one's called Binge Worthy. Although her stories are anything but everyday tales, Kay is a gifted recounter, and the deep dive-in is unparalleled. So glad I found the show. Can't believe I missed out on it for so long as I did. Well, now you're here. Thank you. All right. The next one is the best. I listen to every true crime podcast there is. LOL. And you and True Crime Brewery are my two absolute favorite podcasts ever. We love them. They're A nice. lot of exclamation points. Thank you, truly. Heart, heart, Canada flag. Yay. Thank you. That was uh, Drew Mary, 2004. All right. So that we have one more here. Yay, All right. Last so one. The Are title, you excited? I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, the last one is titled "Seriously?" Question mark exclamation mark question mark exclamation point. Um, I've been listening to True Crime podcasts for several years now, and today I found this one. I've been binging all day, and I absolutely love you guys and your podcast. So happy to have found you. Well, I'm happy that you found us and that we can continue to give you what you love. Very true. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself. Good. And this is. From T-L-S-A-S-U. Hey, there you go. Well, good job, John. I'm Thanks. sure everyone's very happy that you did that. Well, I love all of you guys. And until next time, guys, don't park next to vans. Bye, guys. Bye.